0: Thank you for visiting theopenword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of this series from Alan Schaefer. You know, when you look at verses um, five through, only really five through seven here, Christ is making a very A very rigid statement I'm the way there's there's not multiple ways to God and as Christians we need to resist the pressure of the world that doesn't like that you know because right now in our climate you know it's a very unkind unloving pompous arrogant thing to do to think that you have the right answer and Christ says, "I am the way." And not only that, but I am the representation of the Father. If you want to know what the Father is like, you need to merely look at me. And the idea there, you know, when someone says, when someone says, um, when someone asks you, you know, "Tell me about God. Tell me about God." Or when we think about learning about God, what do we usually start with? Yeah, all those attributes, you know, his attributes, his divine attributes. We talk about that, you know. It's sort of like saying, uh, "Tell me about George Bush." Oh, by the way, do you know he's one of my cousins? No. Really? He is seriously. George Bush Jr. Yeah. Oh, and senior. Okay. Yeah, his eighth great grandfather is my tenth great grandfather, so we're very distant cousins. But, yeah, yeah. And and Cheney, it's I think it's interesting. Cheney and Bush are like seventh cousins. You know. Illuminati. I mean, it's just it's weird, but yeah, they are. But but anyway, but but you know, someone say, well, I, you know, tell me about President Bush. Well, you know, he was born here. He went here to school. He, you ever meet him? No, don't. Never met him. That's not knowing God. I mean what Christ is saying here, he's not talking about knowing God in the sense of rattling off a list of names or a list of attributes or qualities or things like that. What's he talking about? He's talking about knowing God as a person. That's the pursuit of our life. It's not to know about God. Be able to spout off a bunch of attributes and debate aseity and self-existence and omniscience and, you know, I mean, those are qualities certainly of God. They're important things to know. But that's not knowing God any more than being able to spout a bunch of facts about George Bush means that you know George Bush. Christ is saying, to know me is to know the Father. Because I am a representation of the character of what God is like. And it's talking here about the character, about the person. And that's really what, what is picked up in 1 John 2. Remember, little children know what? Well, they know their sins are forgiven. They know who the father is. The young men, they've, they know the word of God. They've overcome the evil one. But the older men, what do they know? They know God. They know God. And that's why, you know, as, as you mature in your Christian faith, and I think some of you are getting to that point in your lives where you've been a Christian long enough, you, you're starting to, to dimly get to know God to the extent that when you hear somebody say something, you can tell whether that's God or not because you know Him. You know, it, well, that's, that's not what God is all about. You know, it's like these guys on TV, you know, spotting this health, wealth, prosperity. and uh, that's, that's not what God is all about. You know, and they can spout the Bible verses, but that's not him. That's not the Savior I know. That's not what God is concerned about. And Christ is saying, to know me, Thomas, is to know the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at me. Have I been so long with you and you've not gotten this yet? See, the disciples were stuck on the physical, the here and now, the immediate, what can be seen and Christ is trying to get them to look beyond that. And Philip, have you been with me so long and you don't know that? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father now seen there is not just oh there he is over there. see is, is to observe, to look at. I don't I, I should pull out my little Greek New Testament here and, and see what that particular word there is. but the one word I do know used in first John, he said that which we have seen and heard. The word seen there, theaomai, comes, we get the word theater from it. That means to observe intently. It's not just a glance. All right? John is saying, we have observed intently, examined thoroughly Christ. It's not somebody we just seen across the room, it's someone we have really examined. All right, his has car- carried an examination and, and, and Christ is saying, if you've seen, me, if you've observed me, if you've watched me, you should know who the Father is because I am what he is like. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the work themselves. Christ is identifying himself with the Father. (coughs) And he's identifying his character, his motives, what he's doing, his, his, um, his entire agenda is that of the Father's. There's no separation between them and sense of their purpose and their design. And Christ is saying, the things that I'm telling you, I'm not telling you these on my own authority. Now, could he have done that? Well, sure, he's God, right? But in incarnation, what did Christ do? What did Christ submit himself to? He submitted himself to the Father, right? I'm not going to do anything but that which the Father directs me to do. And so when Christ is speaking, he's saying, this is not my own idea. It's not just me coming up with this. This is what the Father has sent me to tell you. And I have told you this. And I am the perfect representation of what the Father is like. Now, and by extension, what should we be like in our lives? We should be Christ-like, Right? If people want to know what Jesus is like, they should be able to find a Christian to give them a pretty good representation. Now, that's not being arrogant, is it? Mm-hmm. Paul said, be followers together with me as I am of Christ. There's no arrogance about it, but I'll tell you what, it's a serious thing when you realize there are people looking at you. And what kind of, you know, if they know you're a Christian, you're giving them some kind of indication of what Christ is like right Now think of the boys on TV. If you just had them, right? If that's all you knew about Christianity, what would you conclude Christ to be? Should, money hungry. Yeah, greedy. yeah, and the greed, prosperity, right? If um, erratic, you know, if speaking in tongues and the slaying in the spirit and all the mumbo jumble that goes on with that 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 somehow god somehow the weirder and the more more out of control you are, the more godly you are. By the way, there was a cult that believed that in those days. It was called the um, the cult the Gnostic cult up in Delphi. And the idea was ecstasia, that was the Greek word. And the idea was the more out of control you were, the more in tune with God you were. Oh, Which one was the more that was part of it yeah if you really wanted to commune with God you go find a religious prostitute and have sex and that would make you in communion with God but the idea is the more out of control you were the more godly you were and that's the kind of stuff that leaked into Corinth with the tongues business but we got the same thing down with the Brownsville revival and the Toronto blessing and a lot of the nuttiness that goes on in some of the hyper charismatic churches where you know it, the people who are rolling around on the floor laughing uncontrollably boy my God's really moving powerfully on them you, you make you make God into this right. you know erratic <laughs> um, yeah it's erratic uh, out of control bizarre behavior kind of thing and that's not what God is all. About. I mean, if all you had was that, you, you come up with a very bad representation of what Christ is like. When you looked at Christ's life, what did you see? The Father. He didn't do anything that the Father didn't want him to do. He didn't do any miracle that God did not want him. God the Father didn't want him to do. Everything he spoke, he spoke from God the Father. He said where, where, where works. We're going to get to there in a minute. Okay. I'm looking up this um, verse nine. It's not the thealmai. It's it's just it's to see here. It's not the thealmai verb here, but the thealmai verb is used over in John, and Christ is. He's not, he's not emphasizing that part here, but he is saying, if you have seen me over these years, then you've seen the father over these years. All right. And he's saying, you know, again, I don't do anything, my own works, my own authority, I do the authority of the father. And he says, if you don't believe me for my words, believe me for my works. Right. And and didn't he say that earlier on to the (coughs) crowds? Remember? Remember? if you don't believe my words at least look at my works yeah I mean that should tell you what other person can raise the dead what other person can heal like I've healed what other person has power over demons and demonic forces if you don't believe my words at least believe what I'm doing and we talked about you know the unbelief of men that is just so solid that it doesn't matter what is done, I will not believe. I refuse to believe. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. and whatever you ask in my name that will I do that the father may be glorified in the son if you ask anything in my name I will do it now those three verses are raped (laughs) by the television evangelist (laughs) alright what's the most important thing to understand about interpreting these verses Good, you're trained. I got you there. Context. That's it. Context. What is the context? That's the three most. It's like what real estate? Location, location, location. First of all he says if you believe in me and, and the idea in John's mind of believe is what? Yeah it's not just a head knowledge. It's a head knowledge followed by a total commitment. Alright? That's different than our American kind of believe, right? Um, in America you can believe anything you want, you don't need you know, especially in politics, you know. You have a politician stand up and say I believe in blah, but they're doing something totally different with their life and their, you know what they're doing. They say one thing and live totally different. That's not the way John looks at it. If you believe in Christ Everything you do is going to match up with that. It's going to be a 100% commitment. Christ is saying, if you believe in me, in other words, if you intellectually believe in me, but not, if you not only intellectually believe in me, but you also put all your trust, all your faith, all your action goes behind it, that's what it means to believe in Christ. That's not just some head trip you got. If you do that, The works that I do you will also do and greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. Now what's he talking about there? Well it depends on who you're talking to. You talk to the guys on TV that means you should be able to raise the dead, walk on water, pick up snakes, you know all the miracles that Christ did you could do. All right what works do you think he's talking about here? The miracles? What's he talking about? I believe he's talking about it. I guess bring the word. Spread the love. Lead people to God. What's the spirit? Spiritual miracles. Well, I think there's two ways to look at this. One is, th- there's certainly a component here of Christ, the works that Christ is talking about, having to do with some of the miracles that he did, right? I mean, that's what he told the Pharisees. If you don't believe me for my words, believe me for my works. What works was he doing? Healing the guy, you know, that was born blind or the man who was paralyzed. All right, so there's a sense that that's true. But not just the works, the miraculous burst, well, how else did you know that Christ was sent from God? What tipped you off that he was sent from God? He did miracles, that's one thing. John the Baptist, the words, the message he preached. But what else told you that he was from God? God's voice. The Holy Spirit no, the prophecies. The prophecies were there, but what, what, what did you see when, you, if you were to, if you were to have lived with Christ for a year? He had authority. He spoke with authority. His teaching, his words, but what would you have seen about him? Well, his. Hmm? His character. His character. The way he lived his life, the way he treated people—that's not miraculous, right? I mean, we, when we think, we think, we think, all oh, Christ did—he went every day, you know, a miracle every minute. You know, every time he's turned around, he's performing some other miracle. A lot of Christ's life was spent in just day-to-day activities, eating with the disciples, walking to places, discussions, prayer with the Father at night. By looking at his life, you saw someone whose character, whose attitudes, whose entire demeanor of life hinted at he knew God. Did he do miracles? Of course he did. But it wasn't just the miracles. It was his entire manner of life. The words, the way he talked to people, the way he treated people, the way he treated the sinners. Right? All of that Gave clues, and I think what Christ is saying here is, if you believe in me, you can do that as well. But so, is, it, is he? Is he also adding the, um, the miraculous work? In the case of the, and you got just for a different study. In the case of the disciples, they were able to do miracles. Okay, okay. All right, but you see that dying out very early on. Right, right, right. Okay. okay? It's like it's like when you think of Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah is the prophet. Think of it in this term, Isaiah is a prophet, right? What does it mean to say that when Isaiah was a prophet? How did I know Isaiah? What did Isaiah do as a prophet? What was he? What what, what activities did he do? What was his, What did his resume look like? All right. When you think of prophet, what do you think of? Yeah. Predicting the future. Did Isaiah, did everything Isaiah have to say, was it about predicting future events? No. That wasn't, that wasn't the bulk of what he said. Most of what he said had to do with situations in immediate context. He was the spokesman for God. Did he have a miraculous future predictive component? Sure he did. But by and large the work of the prophet in the Old Testament was not somebody who went around and every time he spoke it was a prediction about the future. Most of the time it was exhortations to godly living. That's what he did. Now was there a miraculous component of future? Sure there was. But many of the Old Testament prophets, Elijah. Did Elijah, did all Elijah do was predict the future? No. A lot of times he preached against the sin in his own. That the, the he preached the word that God had already revealed. Against the sin of his own culture. And, and see, we we key in on the miraculous component of this thing, but probably probably if you look if you added up all the words Isaiah uttered in his entire prophetic ministry, probably less than one percent of them had to do with predicting future events most of it had to do with situations at hand and and preaching the already revealed Word of God. And, And I think the same holds true with Christ to an extent. Did Christ have the ability to do miraculous things? Yes he did. But for every miracle that Christ did there were nine things that Christ did ordinary life kinds of things that exhibited that he was from God. I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah. Well, you by also. The kids crowded around him. Why did the kids want to be around Jesus? They loved him. He was a nice guy to be around. He loved kids. He was kind. He was gentle. He treated people with respect. Many times he taught the Word of God, right? And not only taught it by the way he... he his words but you saw it in the way he lived. Now, was he able to pull a miracle off? Yeah, he could do that. But by and large, his life was an example of what it meant to walk in the Spirit. It wasn't one unending miracle after another. We see a lot of the miracles, so we think Christ, you know, all, everything he did was a miracle. Miracle here, miracle there, miracle, miracle, miracle. That's not it. And so when he says you're going to do greater works, not only are you going to do... I don't think you can take that and say, I'm going to do bigger miracles than Christ did. Because they died out. That doesn't make any sense. But if you understand it in terms of Christ's influence, and Christ ministered to a very small geographical area, you got to understand when Billy Graham preaches on TV, he's speaking to more people at one time than Christ did in his entire life. You can't, you, it's not greater in number, but greater in extent, greater influence. I always looked at this, as like when you said that, it was kind of like uh, speaking to all of the apostles together. It's like, you know, yeah. it's more of you now, it's me, but now it's, it's more of you. So. And when I go to the Father and send the Comforter who's going to empower you, Right? You're going to be able to do these miracles. You know, look at the the miracles that Paul did. You know, um, that he was able to do. It, it's not that Paul walked around and did miracle, 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 miracle. But look at the influence that Paul had. He preached to the entire Roman world. Christ didn't. All right. I you got to be very careful. At, and and again, you know, we don't have time to take this entirely apart, this piece here. But the idea of Christ is saying that you're gonna be able to do bigger miracles and raise more people from the dead and all of that doesn't make any sense. Historically it doesn't match what happened. It's not talking, I think, about the miraculous things. It's talking about his influence, his godly living. He started out one. He, and like he said, unless a wheat, piece of grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it doesn't bring forth any fruit. Christ multiply to 11 who multiplied to 100 who multiplied to a thousand you know it's influence here I think and then and then he comes on and says um, uh, and whatever you ask in my name I will do it know and, uh, and, and, and the, the, the thing about that verse what is it when Christ said if you ask anything in my name what does he mean by that? Yes. The name, a person's name in the Bible is, 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 a, is not a label that they've been assigned. Alright? It's not a label. It's a character. We use it in terms of labels, right? Oh, you're Jamie, you're Bart. Okay, I see. You're Stephen. Okay, that's a label. But you may think about, you know, um, you know, if you, if you belong to a wealthy family, you know, you say, "Look, the Rockefellers don't live like that." <laughs> that's that's more that's more than a name, right? It's a it is referring to a character, you know, and that's what is being said here. Christ is saying, if you ask anything in accordance with my character, in other words, if it's something that I would want. If it's in accordance with what I what God would want, what I would want, you can ask anything and I'll do it. It's not saying, give me a Rolls Royce in Jesus' name. Gotcha God, you gotta give it to me now, because I, I use the magic word. You know, it's like abracadabra or walla walla Washington or whatever it is. Or that's not that's not what this is talking about. You want you want you want God to answer your prayer. How do you, how can you pray so that God answers your prayer? Well, want the same things he wants. <clears throat> what would Christ want? That's what I want. And if you do that, I will do it that the Father may be glorified in the son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You ask anything in accordance with what I want with my nature, my character, I'm going to do it. Isn't there another promise where you uh, pray for wisdom, mm-hmm. give you wisdom, and sort of change? The same thing, yeah. His, his will that you have greater wisdom concerning him. And when and when somebody comes along on television and says this means that you can pray for. Cadillacs and Rolls Royces and money and cars and fame and wealth and health and as long as you pray in Jesus name and demand it from God he's got to deliver it to you. They don't know what they're talking about. that's 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 not what it's talking about here. Yeah. If you ask wisdom if any of you lack wisdom ask God. He'll Give you wisdom. Then you, you haven't received it because you asked in the midst. The, and James four, you've asked in the midst that you may consume it on your own desires. Is that like the what's the prayer of Jabez? In comparison. Well, I mean that's sort of been. I mean what I mean yeah. that, had, that was a big movement for a while, wasn't it? Well, I think well the reason God answered Jabez's prayers because Jabez wanted to make God look good. I, mean, I I was, i remember when I go into work many days. I ask God, you know, I want to make You look good today. I want to—I want to—I want to live a life that makes You look good. So well, that's a proper prayer. You know, prayer of Jesus. Yes, that's sort of like the prayer of Jabez. What do I want? And I, I, I many times I pray, Lord, I want to want what You want. I want to want what You want. So you know. I want, I want to have the desires that you have. I don't want, I don't want you to answer my desires my way. I want to have the desires that you want me to have. I want to be on your page. I want to to see life the way you see it. And that's what prayer is all about. Prayer, let's understand something about prayer. Prayer is not getting God to do what you want Him to do. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is getting you to figure out what God wants you to do. It's to get you on the page. It's not to try and talk God into doing something He really doesn't want to do. And yet that's what we've turned it into. We've created, when you go to classes on prayer, it's all about manipulation. you got to pray in Jesus' name. you got to do cats or acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, you got to do it this way, if you pray in the morning, noon, at night, God, you're more apt to get your prayers. It's all about manipulating God. It's all about working the system. That's not what prayer is about in the Bible. That's not, that's not prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Prayer is talking to God, like I would talk to somebody sitting next to me and prayer is to get me to align my will with God's will, not God's will with my will. That's what that's what prayer is about. I was always taught like to pray God's word back to Him. Yeah, and He He can't, you know, He got to act upon His word. God binds Himself to His word, what He said. But what you see today, and what you see a lot of times on TV and on these charismatic boys, is is is, it's a manipulation. God's got to do it because. God promised me he would do it. So if I ask anything, he's got to do it. He's under obligation. God's under obligation to nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't God doesn't owe us anything. God is is going to act in accordance with his nature, his character. Therefore, like when you do things like when you pray for the salvation of other people, is that something that God would want you to pray for? Yeah. When you pray that God's name would be glorified, that he would be exalted, is that what he wants? Yeah. When you pray for a Rolls Royce, is that what God wants? Probably not. You know? Now, listen, if you need transportation to get to work, is it okay to pray that God would provide you the necessary means of transportation? Sure. And if he gives you a Rolls Royce, hallelujah. But that's not the point of it. All right. we've, We've turned prayer into an exercise of manipulation. How can I pray to get God to do it my way? And God doesn't operate at that level. And usually when God does answer your prayer, he answers in a way that you don't expect him to answer it in. He does it differently. And Christ is saying here, if you ask anything in my name in accordance with my nature, my program, my desires, what I want, I'll do it. And what does God want? God wants what's best for us, right? Is it okay to pray for your daily food? Sure. Because you notice it's from the hand of God. You're thanking him for his provision. God is not necessarily want you to starve to death. (laughs) Is it okay to pray that, you know, when you ask God to deliver you from evil and to keep you from sin, is that what he wants? Sure. If you pray for wisdom, does God want you to have wisdom? Sure he does. And you gotta be careful not to pray to consume it on your own lust. What do I want? want So that he could make God look good. It's all about God. It's all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about getting my prayers answered my way. You know and, and, and most Christians would be better off instead of praying that God would give them more money, pray that God would help them be wise stewards of what he's already given them. Right. Instead of praying for a new wife, pray that you would get along with the one you got. Or husband, as the case may be. Instead of praying for a new job, pray that you would honor the Lord in the one you have. And if God leads you to another job, fine. But It's, it's changing our entire focus off of ourselves. And that's what prayer is about. Prayer is get the focus off of you and onto God. And not to try and get God to, to manipulate him some way, to twist his arm, or to make him feel obligated to answer your prayer, your way. Because what happens then, you know, you have all these people that say, well, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe in God anymore. Why? Well, I prayed that God would, uh, would give me this and he didn't do it. That's manipulation. That's not praying in Jesus' name. Well, yeah, I do because I say at the end of my prayer, "In Jesus' name, Amen." That's the postage stamp that gets it to heaven. You know, without the postage stamp, it's returned to sender. No, that doesn't work that way. That's not what praying in Jesus' name means. It means I'm praying this in because I know that this is what you would want. <coughs> so next time you pray, ask yourself, "Am I praying for something that God would want?" that's that's what yeah that's what prayer is the Lord's prayer or the disciples prayer our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name does God want his name to be honored and glorified yeah Mm -hmm. Thy, hallowed be your name thy will be done in heaven as it is in earth how is God's will done in heaven Yeah. Uh, Angel 487, I'd like you to go do that. Oh, come on, I've been doing this for a thousand years. Get this guy. He's been sitting there. I, I want to take a break. Come on, God. No, there's not any of that, right? Angels are, are God's will in heaven. People are eager to do that. There, there's a joy in, in, in doing that. There, no one's grousing in heaven because God wants them to do something. And angels aren't complaining because they got to do something that they don't want to do. There's joy, there's there's an anticipation. Let that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. What's that? Our daily provision. Why do we need that? To live. God knows that. Deliver us from the evil one. Does God want you to fall into sin? No. Deliver me from Satan. Don't let me fall into sin. Keep me from stumbling into sin. thy kingdom come does God want his kingdom to come sure he does and you see in that disciples prayer the entire focus of that prayer is not on me it's on God what does God want that's what prayer is all about don't turn these verses here into some manipulation where I'm going to manipulate and make God do what I want Him to do. Because then in verse 15, look what he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is the key folk that's taken me 35 years to figure out. I've been a Christian for 40 years. And it's taken me 35 of them to figure this verse out. I'm still not got it quite down, but I'm getting there. The key is this. If you love God, you're going to want to keep His commandments. Why? Because you want to bring joy to His heart. One of my prayers many mornings is, Father... When my name comes up around the throne, I would hope that it brings a smile, not a frown, to your face. I'm starting to get it. It's taken a while. That's what John says uh, His commandments are not grievous what, what do we you know for, for many years I saw the commandment of God as something I hated doing and I had to force myself to do it and I didn't like it and you know why does he have all these commandments and why does he lighten up and finally I five years ago it started clicking in my head wait a minute if I love God I'm going to want to make him happy. <laughs> that's not gonna be a burden to me it's gonna be a joy of my heart if you love a a man if a man loves a woman his joy is to make her happy he doesn't he doesn't say oh, I gotta shoot I gotta bring her flowers I wish he wouldn't want flowers all the time doggone it he's gonna wanna do that right he's gonna it's gonna bring joy to his heart to bring joy to her He doesn't need to be told, don't beat her up, (laughs) because he's going to love her, right? And that's what Christ is saying here. If you love me, if you say you love me, keep my commandments. What are those commandments for? They're for your best good. They're not just to make God happy, right? In fact, what commandment did he just give them? Love one another. If you love me, do those things that bring joy to my heart. That's what it's all about. And just so you can do this, verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, comforter, parakletos. Mm -hmm and the word another here is very important in Greek there's another of a different kind another of the same kind Christ is saying I want and he's going to give you a comforter of the same kind than I am the same kind of comforter hmm. that he may abide with you forever I'm going to pray and he's going to give you another comforter Christ is going away. He's not going to be there to comfort the disciples, right? But he's going to send another comforter just like himself that's never going to abandon them. And this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. The third person in the Trinity is going to come and take a permanent residence within you. And that's not going to leave you comfortless. He's not, I'm not going to abandon you. In fact, he says here, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, orphanas, to abandon. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you all by yourself. And this, of course, is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And how is this promise different than that in the Old Testament? Well, in the Old Testament, you did not have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit, like you have in the New Testament. What enables you to live the Christian life? What enables you to obey God? What enables you to want the things He wants? It's the Holy Spirit within you. What gives you the ability to discern and understand spiritual truth? It's not your superior intellect. It's the Holy Spirit within you. And Christ is saying, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm going to send another comforter just like me, a parakletos, one called alongside. It comes from parakaleo, To call alongside someone who stands right next to you and holds you up, bears you up. He's going to be with you and he's going to never leave you. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I I don't think we, you know, one of our problems as as Christians is I I think we have a very defective view of the Holy Spirit. In fact, most of our ideas about the Holy Spirit comes more from the charismatic and the wackos on TV than it comes from the scripture. The Holy Spirit is seen as someone who's erratic, someone who slays people and knocks them down, someone who makes them bark like dogs or laugh uncontrollably or or, or babble in a a gibberish of an unknown language or, or some other erratic thing. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. He's our parakletos. He is there to give us the ability to live the Christian life, to comfort us with Christ being absent. He is there to keep us connected to God. He's not going to leave us. I'm not going to leave you an orphan. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he, later on in John 16, we're going to find out he convicts the world of sin, right? The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit seals you. What does it mean to seal? It means God's stamp is on you. The word there, Erebon, is a word earnest. We use earnest. What's earnest money? Uh, it's a down payment that promises a full amount later on, right? What's an engagement ring? It's an initial promise of a mer- wedding ring to come, right? The Holy Spirit, what is He? He is the bond. He is the down payment. He's the promise of fulfillment. If you, here's the point, folks, understand this: If as a Christian you've come to know the Lord and you've received the Holy Spirit, that is the down payment which guarantees your future glorification. God does not give you the spirit and then take it away. It's a guarantee. He's the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until it's all fulfilled. He is the teacher, he guides us into all truth. Later on, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit enables us to understand the things of God, first Corinthians two, right? We understand God's... How do we understand God? We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. The Holy Spirit grants us a spiritual gift that we're able to use to edify the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who grants us joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. He's the one who regenerates. What does it mean to regenerate? To make alive. You were dead in trespass and sins, and you know Titus 3:8 talks about being washed by the regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. What what is that? He regenerates us. The Holy Spirit is there permanently with us. And Christ said, if I go away, I'm not going to leave you abandoned to yourself. I'm going to send someone alongside that will be there with you forever and never leave you, never abandon you. So as a Christian, can you lose the Holy Spirit? No. You can't. You can't. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Again, this is promise of future life. And Christ is saying, the world's not going to see me in a little bit. I'm going away. I'm going to die. But you'll see me. He's talking about the resurrection, I think there. But he's saying here, because I live, you will live also. You got to understand something here that's very important: that the resurrection of Christ is the validity of everything He said. There are people today that said, "Well, it doesn't matter whether Christ rose again bodily from the grave or not, after all." You know, the disciples were hallucinating when they saw him. It was a vision. It was a spirit. um, It was just a glorified ghost kind of being. It really wasn't a physical resurrection. Look, the scripture says very clearly, unequivocally, that Christ rose physically, bodily from the grave. And it's that physical and bodily resurrection that validates everything he said. And if he did not rise physically, our faith is vain. It's the validator. How do, you, how do I know that one day I will rise again from the dead? Because Christ did. Because he lives, I will live. And if he didn't rise again from the dead, I'm going to quit this whole religious gig and go out and have a good time and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I'm going to die. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection is the validator, the stamp, that yes, everything Christ said was true. At that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What Christ is talking about here is fellowship. It's fellowship. When do you most closely feel the comfort in the presence of God? When you're living in obedience or disobedience? That's a no-brainer, right? Now, there's a certain sense, this side of glory in which We'll never experience the fullness of the fellowship. But later on in John 17, Christ says, Father, I want them to come and be with us. What is the goal of redemption? Why did God design redemption? So we could all walk around in heaven and admire our mansions? No, so that we could have fellowship with God for eternity. What's fellowship? Sharing. Stop and think about the awesomeness of that statement. In the eternal state, I will be able to fellowship with Christ without fear. I'll be able to fellowship with God without fear. Because I will be perfect. There won't be any sin within me. There won't be any blemish within me. Christ is saying, Father, He's telling the disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will love you. And if I love you, the Father will love you because the Father and I are one. And and I will reveal myself to you. This is all about sharing. He's trying to get this concept across to them. If you love me and you keep my commandments, you're gonna there's gonna be fellowship and communion and joy in that. And that's why when we fall into sin, one of the first things that goes out the window is our assurance. We don't feel saved, we don't feel, you know, God. And Christ is talking about fellowship, sharing, communion. And why is that? Well, stop and think about it. Who do you like hanging around with? What kind of people do you like hanging around with? with. Yeah, people you got Losers. something in common with, right? Huh? Losers. Yeah. <laughs> no, people that you have someone you share common interest with, someone where you have a a, a common desires common goals a common view of things right who does God like hanging around with people like him or people not like him it's not a trick question people like him right John 15 ah, no, John psalm 15 one of the greatest psalms in the Old Testament John psalm 15. Who can dwell in your place? Who can ascend to your holy hill? Right. You want to you want to be with God? You want to enjoy fellowship with God? Then you need to act like God. And acting like God means that you don't talk about your neighbor. You don't cheat people. You don't backstab your neighbor. You love what God loves. You hate what God hates. You want to have fellowship with God? Hate the things he hates. What does God hate? Find out what those are and hate them. You want, you want to love the things he loves. I mean, it's amazing to me that the entertainment on TV that we allow ourselves to like, that's so anti-Christian. Why are we doing that? Yeah. Christ is talking about fellowship with here. Judas, not Iscariot. Now why is that? Well, Judas Iscariot's not there. Said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? What are they thinking about manifestation or what are they thinking of? Physical, right? How you how you appear to us and not to the world? That doesn't make any sense there. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anybody loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The idea there is keeping his words. What does it mean to keep his words to obey him, to do what he says? You want to be you want to have the Father and I have fellowship with you? How do you do that? You keep my words, and we will make ourselves real to you. He's not talking about physical presence. He's talking about the spiritual presence of God, right? That's what he's talking about there. He's trying to get them to not to stop looking at. It's not that the Father and I are going to show up and eat breakfast with you tomorrow. That's not what it's about. But we will reveal ourselves to you. In what sense? Their nature. There's a sense in which, as you are obedient to Christ, and you're obedient. And by the way, how are you obedient to Christ? How do you do that? You Read this. What does God want? Well let's find out what he wants. He's told me here. What's God love? Well let's see what God loves. I mean he's recorded it here. What's God hate? Well we'll find out what God hates. This is where you find out. In Ephesians it says let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and in the, in the now in the it says let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in Ephesians let the Holy Spirit dwell in you and you find out that how do you have Christ dwell in you? You have Christ dwell in you when the Word of God dwells in you. When you're obeying the Word of God that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. It's all interconnected and that's what Christ, he's, he's tightening it up here, he's weaving it together you want to be. You want. You want to know what I'm saying here. Well, if you love me, you'll keep my word. And if you keep my word, the Father will love you. Why? Because the Father wants you to keep my word. Because my word is the Father's word. So by keeping my words, you're really keeping the Father's words. By loving me, you're really loving the Father. And if you love me, the Father's going to love you because the Father loves you to love me. He's, he's wrapping it all together here. And if you don't love me, you don't keep my words, there is no fellowship. And that's what John says in 1 John chapter 1. If we keep his commandments, we have fellowship one with another. Right? We have fellowship with God and fellowship one with another. And that's a very big word, koinonia, to share life, to share emotions, to share intimacy with one another. That's what it's all about. When you, say, when you say that, Word that's I immediately think of Joshua. I think it's one A. Do not let the book, where the book, the word depart from your mouth. You know, meditate on it day and night. That's the one. I, be careful to do everything written in it. All yeah. I do it. Is, you know, do it. What's what What's What's happening in my own spiritual life over the past few years is I'm I'm growing more and more aware that obeying God is not a burden. It's a joy. Because when I obey Him and when I'm doing those things that honor Him and please Him, I sense the joy of the fellowship with Him. And I'm becoming more and more addicted to that. and it's sinking slowly into my thick skull it's taken me again i told you it's taken me 35 years to figure it out love god if you love someone your your greatest joy is to bring joy to them if you love god your greatest joy is to bring joy to his heart what do you? How do you bring joy to his heart? You act like him. You love the things he loves. You hate the things he hates. And since that's what he created you to be in the first place, it's a double joy because you're, you know, you're doing what you've been created to do. And what is the pursuit? Our eternal pursuit. Our eternal pursuit is to share with God, to fellowship with Him. And I love that because when I look at the end of Revelation, it said, the Spirit and the Bride say come. Now, just off the top of your head, what do you think it should say? You know, if I was thinking about it, I said, why does John say the Spirit and the Bride say come? I mean, it seems to me that if it's heaven, it we see the Spirit and the And Christ and the Father say come. Right? Why does he toss in the Spirit and the Bride say come? Because the Spirit and the Bride are in such communion and fellowship that heaven is no longer just God's place, it is their place. That's a heavy thought. I mean, if I would go over and, you know, if we would go over to John's house and have fellowship or something, and as you were leaving, I would would not sit up and say, now John and I want you to come back again. Because that's not my home. That's not my place. That's, That's out of character for me to say that. And what I find so interesting at the end of Revelation is the Spirit and the Bride say, come, because that, is the bride's home now? It's our place, and that's not depreciating anything about heaven being God's creation and God's special place and the presence of God. It has nothing to do with that. But it's interesting that the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." That's their home. They're they're in, the Spirit and the Bride are seen in perfect. Communion there. Fellowship. Wow, that's that sends shills up and down your spine a little bit there, you know. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. What is one of the major ministries of the Holy Spirit to bring us the mind of God? To help us understand what God wants us to understand. The Spirit gives us understanding and comprehension. And He's a helper. Yeah, He will teach you all things. Spiritual understanding is not necessarily related to your IQ. It's related to the Holy Spirit who gives you understanding. And that's why you're smarter than any of these eggheads on TV. Not because you've got the intellectual acumen, but because you have the Holy Spirit who gives you spiritual sight and understanding. It's not you. Christ is saying the Spirit will come and He will guide you in all truth and He will lead you in all truth. What God is doing here is God is not saying, okay, I, I I justified you. Now you're now you're on your own. Have at it. He doesn't do it that way. Christ is not saying, look, I'm going to the cross to redeem you. I've done enough, man. Come on. You gotta let's let's step up to the plate here. You know, let's No. He's given us the power. He's given us the strength. He's given us the understanding. He's given us the knowledge. He's done it all. We just got to get with the program here. And not only that, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He's paraphrasing what he just said before. I'm going to give you my spirit who's going to give you what? Peace. Mm -hmm. It is a shame for Christians to be overcome with the paralysis of fear. It doesn't mean we have those times in our life where there's a little bit of fear or anxiety about something, but our lives can't be controlled by that. When you see, you know this whole global warming thing. You know people are panicking on this. I don't need to panic. The stock market's dropping. Panic? I don't need to panic? The Middle East is running them up. Nope, don't need to panic. We don't need to panic. Why? Because God gives his peace to us. What is that peace founded on? That peace is founded on the fact that God is 100% totally, completely in charge of all that happens. Nothing is going to happen that God does not allow. And I remember in 1992 when I got a little sticker on my car in the parking lot of Church of the Open Door telling me that God lost the election. 1992, when Clinton was God lost the election. I'm thinking, how can God lose an election? I didn't know He was up for office. I did not know He was in. I didn't know He was up for office. God doesn't lose elections. God's not caught off guard. God's in control. He says, you don't need to be troubled because I have given you every provision you need. I've given you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. If you keep my commandments, you will have the fellowship of myself and the Father who is there with you. You don't need to be scared and afraid and upset and bothered because we're there. I just wanted to make a comment it's interesting because I guess I never realized this, but in 27 or 14, I believe what you we went to the Catholic Mass every week. And then, you know, they offer each other the signs of peace. If you've seen that, you know, everybody's shaking hands. I just wonder what the significance of you know, just some traditional. Now, um, peace here, I think there's a couple of ways in which to understand peace. One, there's peace with God, right? But this is the peace of God. What does it mean to be at peace? Everything's alright. Now that doesn't mean you're catatonic. And it doesn't mean that that you're not you know reasonably concerned about things because you know you have responsibility. That's not what it's talking about here. It's not talking about a a state of catatonia here where you, it doesn't matter what's going on. You know, That's not what it's the house is on fire okay I get the peace of God I'll just sit here and wait you know for the get out you know that's not what it's talking about but it's talking about we don't have to live our lives in panic mode you don't have to be panicked you don't have to take your xanax or your whatever it is you need to keep your your anti-anxiety pills you don't need to be worried oh what's going to happen you know, your, your life and your time is in God's hands. You need to be reasonable. You need to plan for the future within boundaries. But you, do you control the future? No. Can any of you taking thought add one cubit to your life? Oh. Nope. You. you can take some off of it, right? It's kind of hard to add to it. Don't let your heart be troubled Don't let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, and I'm I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. Christ is saying, if you love me, what would you want for me to do? Go. Go to the Father. You wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't try to hang on to me. And this, this piece here he's offering the disciples and the piece he's talking about is there's gonna be chaos heading their way but don't worry because I'm going to the Father. And you should that should bring you joy. That should bring you happiness. If you love me you'd want to do that which brings me joy. My joy would be to be with the Father. That's what you would want for me. And I've told you all of this before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. He's telling them all of this, what's going to happen before it happens, so that when it happens, they may know that He told them it was coming along. And it's all part of the plan. Christ's death, burial, resurrection, His crucifixion was not an accident. God did not lose control. It was all part of the perfect, ordained plan of God that was set in motion and determined before time began. So, what, what this means, the first 20th, the Father is greater than I. The so Father is. Keep it one in what sense was the Father greater than Christ? In the role. In the role had nothing to do with his nature. Nothing to do with nature. Was God the Father more God than God the Son? No. (laughs) Or was God the Son more God than the Holy Spirit? No. That's a a heretical view of the Trinity. Each member of the Trinity is 100% co-equal in all components of deity as each of the others but in redemption Christ submitted Himself joyfully willfully with anticipation to the will of the Father and the Holy Spirit submitted Himself joyfully willfully and with great anticipation to the Son and the Father to to effect the drama of Redemption and nothing yeah it has nothing to do with essence it has to do in who sent the son into the world in that sense the father is greater yeah it's it's like yeah it's like um, essentially when you look at the Civil War what happened using the Civil War is you get a unit together, you get a, you know, 20 guys within a community together, somebody had to be the lieutenant. Was he better than any other ones? Probably not, but somebody had to somebody had to be in charge. And in the drama redemption the father is the one who sent the son. And in that sense the father is greater than the son in that work of redemption. Not in essence, in being, in eternality, in power. No, there's no no difference. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. They're leaving the upper room. He says that the, Satan is on his way, the prince of this world is on his way. He has nothing in me. There's nothing in me that he can latch onto, but he's on his way. And how does the world know that I love the Father? How how did the world know that Christ loved the Father? He died. He was obedient. Folks, the crucifixion was not an accident. It was not a plan concocted by Pilate and the Pharisees. It was something ordained by God before time began. And Christ did not die to satisfy Satan, Christ died to satisfy the justice of his Father. And Christ and his disciples leave the upper room now and they make their way down to Gethsemane where he'll be betrayed. So that's next week. Father, thanks for this time and help us to ponder deeply what you've taught us, to remember it, to, make it, to have it make a difference in our lives. Thank you that you've given us another comforter, Father, that he's here with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us in the truth and helps us to understand spiritual things and and is there to be our helper. We deserve nothing good from your hand and all we can do is gratefully say thank you. Help us to love you so much that we want to keep your commandments, not because we have to, but because we want to. Thank you for this time, Father, in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.